Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's time to attend you when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Not just on Talk Radio though, but live streaming to you across the world on YouTube, on Facebook and on Twitter as well. We have reached the end of yet another tumultuous week here in the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Not just because we've been live streaming it every single day and you've all been very much enjoying watching me as well as listening to me, but the House of Commons has actually passed the Brexit withdrawal bill with barely a peep coming out of the building and the groundbreaking legislation which became so troublesome and tedious for the government last year hasn't even made the front pages of the newspapers this morning. In fact, if you look at the Times uh, on page 15, way down the bottom on the right-hand side, uh, you'll see a tiny little story that says, oh, by the way, uh, the government's Brexit legislation was passed by the House of Commons. It's incredible, isn't it? It's almost as if nothing ever actually happened in the last three years that held us all up from doing this. We'll be talking to some Labour Party people coming up a bit later on, because guess what? All of the people running to be the leader of the Labour Party all voted against the Brexit withdrawal bill. What a collection of planks. We'll find out why they did that. Meanwhile, the Harry and Meghan crisis continues as royal aides scamper about trying to repair the damage they wreaked on the institution yesterday. The Times is reporting this morning that the couple's estimates of their own finances are wildly inaccurate and that the public provide far more money to them than they are making out. Yesterday, they were busy telling us that they only received 5% of their income from the sovereign grant. But in fact, all foreign trips are paid for from public funds and the cost of that has doubled since Harry and Meghan appeared on the scene because you know how they like to fly on a plane from time to time. They spend half their life flying in planes, despite the fact that they're telling us that we shouldn't do it. It also pays for all their staff, which includes six people at Frogmore Cottage alone. They've got a housekeeper, they've got two personal assistants, they've got two orderlies, whatever they are, are and they've got a nanny. Can anyone tell me what the nanny does when Meghan Markle and baby Archie are not actually there? Because, of course, she's not actually there. It's also emerged that their Sussex royal firm has trademarked over 100 items from socks to magazines as long ago as last summer. Meghan, of course, has already left the country and returned to her new home in Canada. These hits just keep on coming. Maybe she won't come back. That'd be great, wouldn't it? 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we'll be investigating the shooting down of that Ukrainian airline by the Iranians. We'll be looking at the Labour leadership race, of course, and we'll be revealing why Oxford is the latest city to charge you for driving in a zero-emission zone. And because it's Friday, it's time for yet another sparkling edition of the Perrier Awards. And the good news is, Con's not here, so Martha's going to be doing them. So I know you'll love it. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, and watching me as well right here on the fastest growing radio station in the world. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, we haven't quite got over yet the sort of uh, the quake that was started yesterday uh, or the night before yesterday, I suppose, technically, by Harry and Meghan, who decided to out themselves uh, as taking a step back from royal duties, surprising not only Buckingham Palace and all of the courtiers there, but also the Queen, his own grandmother, who had urged him not to do it, not to make such an announcement and not to actually upset the apple cart. But upset the apple cart they have definitely done. The reverberations are going around the world. Meghan Markle has been here for a couple of days and returned to Canada. It turns out that when they did come back, they left baby Archie in the care uh, of their nanny over there. Now, I don't know whether they're still staying or whether she's still staying in the £12 million mansion uh, over by uh, Vancouver Island. I have no idea where she actually is. Um, but certainly the reverberations and the stories in the papers this morning are quite incredible. 
when you, you think about the amounts of money that they are spending from the public purse. It's a complete and utter nonsense, as the Times says this morning, to suggest that in some way only 5% of the sovereign grant uh, contributes to the running of their office, because that's simply not true. Let's talk to Ingrid Seward, editor-in-chief at Majesty magazine, uh, a woman who we've spoken to many times before about Meghan and Harry, um, and probably somebody who is as gobsmacked by this as the rest of us are. Ingrid, a very good morning to you. Good morning. This really is quite a remarkable state of affairs. I mean, I thought I was coming in this morning and I thought to myself, I wonder how big the story is going to be today. I think in some ways it might even be bigger today than it was yesterday. Well, it just seems to run and run and it seems to yeah. have absolutely um, taken over from Brexit, which mm. I'm sure quite a lot of people are relieved about. That is, that is one good thing, I have to say. That is one good thing. But uh, I did point out that the all foreign tours, for instance, that, that royals go on, well, you know, they're working, not holidays, when they're working officially on behalf of the Crown and the Queen, they, they are paid for by the taxpayer and the Foreign Office gives, gives them an allowance. They also give them a clothing allowance. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, also, the, the fact that we've discovered this morning that they have six members of staff at Frogmore Cottage alone, completely separate from the staff that they have running their office. I mean, that's quite a lot of people. It is a lot of people for, for a couple that said that they wanted to live quietly. Mm. It, it certainly is a lot of people. And I don't know whether they've got a nanny there and a nanny in Canada, but I would imagine they've probably only got one nanny. Um, but, you know, royals are inclined to have two because when one's off... Yes. And if they, have, if they have royal duties to do, they can't just take, tuck the baby under their arm and take them. Well, isn't it interesting as well, though, that they've got these, uh, these kind of fanciful ideas about how they want to live their lives sort of in, independently, financially, and all the rest of it. But when she comes back to Britain with, uh, with uh, Prince Harry, she leaves the baby uh, over in, uh, in Canada. Because I, don't, I seem to remember when they went to Africa, they travelled with an entourage of 13 including a hairdresser. Now, I'm not going to complain about that. I'm sure if you're a princess or a duchess and you need to be in, on camera all the time, you should have a hairdresser with you. But let's not pretend that they've got an ordinary lifestyle. No, they certainly haven't got an ordinary lifestyle. And I think, I think although us in the know, you know, knew, knew a lot more about it than the general public, I think the general public are going to be quite shocked about the number of people that, that they employ. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and how much it all costs. Well, exactly right, because you've got a piece in The Times today, this hasty ego trip will have far-reaching consequences, um, is, the, is, the, is the headline on the top of it. Yeah, I mean, the amount of money, I've already been seeing pieces about, uh, from, from the police, for example, that we would have to spend in addition if they moved to Canada because of the royal protection budgets and all of that, uh, is quite prodigious. Well, I mean, if they move to Canada, which we are not sure about, I think, you know, it's possible that the bill for their security could fall upon... Uh, the Canadian people, because it's part of the Commonwealth. It's very, you know, when when the when Buckingham Palace says it's complicated, it's very complicated. It really and we is. We don't even know. It really is. We don't even know where they intend to live yet. They might. You know, there's talk that they might want to live in, in California. They might want to be in New York, or they might want to be in Canada. We don't know. And judging from the story I read this morning as well about these different uh, trademarks, more than 100 trademarks, items that have been registered uh, as much as six months ago, um, it, clearly they, this conversation has been going on for a while. Well, there was, um, you know, there was a few lines in, in, the, in the papers. I think it was before Christmas when they registered the trademark. There was a few little lines saying that they'd registered... The, the trademark Sussex Royal, which in fact is the name of a potato. <laughs> How unusual. Yes, and I don't know what the, the Sussex Royal potato growers feel about it, but um, it is the name of potato, which I found quite amusing. Yeah. And uh, but they, they've they've applied for, for you know over a hundred items that they can uh, I suppose they can use in, in, in their in their way of getting some money. Yeah, but it's all a bit uh, tawdry, isn't it? Because I've also been led to believe that there is some kind of a clause um, in their, in, not contract effectively, but in their sort of way that they're supposed to conduct themselves, that they're not meant to be get themselves involved in, in things which might be considered to be a little bit sort of grubby. Well, the royal family uh, try not to get involved in commerce because right. it, and this is Prince Philip said this years and years ago, it doesn't work. Mm. You've either got to go and do something boring like be an accountant 
or go into the church or go into the military. And, and basically, royals have always gone into the military. Yes. You, you um, can't really start hawking around sweatshirts and hoodies and socks, well, look what happened. You? Look what happened to Fergie when she started doing Yeah, it. I know. And she wasn't even a member of the royal family at the mm. time. No, that was a good and, example, actually. I think a lot of people have forgotten about that. Yes, I mean, she, she, she had a lot of flack, and she was actually divorced from Andrew, I think, when she started uh, hawking her, her name around America. Mm. Absolutely and, right. And, in and your then piece... when Ed, Edward started his film company, Ardent, yes. you know, which was very respectable and, and, and quite successful, but he was then accused of trading on his name, which, of course, he was, because every film and, and TV show he made was about the royal family. Yeah. Well, exactly. And also, the only reason anybody wanted to work with him was because he was a member of that royal family and all hoped hope to get a sort of, you know, personal invite to, the, to Buckingham Palace. But you say in your piece that you think the Queen will take the view that the problem uh, is for Prince Charles to sort out. So is that why we're seeing a piece on the front page of the Times about uh, how he's threatening to halt their money? Well, I think, you know, the Queen's 93. I, I think that... And she's very together mentally, but... She's got to be slightly frail physically. I mean, she's not superwoman. No, or she might be. Superwoman. Well, you can see when you when she when she came out twice to do the Queen's speech there last year. You know, she's not as as robust physically as she was. I mean, she's amazing for ninety three. Yeah. But it really is the the duty I feel of of her son, you know, who's the future king, to sort out his son. Mm. Absolutely. And the Queen doesn't like moral confrontation, especially with with her grand you know, her grandchildren, and she's very fond of Prince Harry. She wants to try and make it work for him. It's important to her that a solution be found. But the trouble is, of course, that, um, you know, this is such a, a, a sort of a shocking move that they've tried to make and that they appear to have done against all the advice that they were given, even by the Queen herself, that it's not entirely clear what it is that they want, is it? I don't think anyone quite knows what they want. I'm, and more, what I'm certain about is I don't think they know what they mm. want. I mean, it's very difficult to have one foot in the royal family and one foot out. It's never worked right. before. And what exactly um, is, is it that's been so difficult for them? I mean, you know, you've got the sort of um, Philip Pullmans of this world complaining about the ghastliness and the foul nature of Britain, and this is why they have to leave because everyone's racist, which is clearly tosh, right? People do not treat Meghan Markle differently because of the colour of her skin. That is absolutely not true. And the idea that, uh, that the people who support him are saying, oh, it's very good for him to look after his own mental health, he's a very frail individual, you know, all of that may well be true. However, um, what exactly is it that's happened that's been so upsetting to them? I can't fathom that. Well, I don't think anybody can. Mm. I mean, they, they are complaining about their treatment at, at the hands of the media, but the royal media, the people that... These, you know, kids that go out every day and follow... Uh, what the royals do, and they're part of the rotor. They work very hard. Yeah. They they report accurately, you know, they because they don't want to diss on their friends. Somebody goes in, say Meghan is in, in a classroom talking to children, uh, a member of the press will go in, they'll report what she says, they'll come back, they'll tell their, the pool, you know, they'll tell their, you know, the rest of the reporters what she said, yeah. and then they write it. Right. There's nothing, there's no spin on that. No, exactly. And and the whole point of being in the royal family is that you have a relationship with the press. And, I mean, during the times of, of Princess Diana, which, which you will remember as well as I do, you know, there was an awful lot of spin, counter-spin, briefings going on behind closed doors. You know, there's not really much of that going on these days. No, there isn't. I mean, and Diana had her own favourite journalist, and why shouldn't she? But the, the thing that Harry and Meghan uh, have to deal with now is social media. Yeah. And they are the first sort of glamorous royal, royal, young royals that have really come a cropper with social media because it's the, to my mind, and I'm not an expert on all this, it's the anonymous people that are so nasty and cruel. Yes. And, and are the ones that are racist. Uh, uh, and I don't think uh, the majority of, of British people are. I mean, if she's I mean, going to... Um, yeah, but if you're going to complain that you're getting uh, horrible people on Twitter saying horrible things about you, well, that's what Twitter is, I'm afraid. I mean, we all have it. Uh, we all get to put up with it. And we sometimes all get fed up with it. But it doesn't mean that you just give up and, uh, on, on what, what it is that your job is and you suddenly go, oh, I just can't face it anymore. I'm just not going to do it anymore. Well, you don't. I mean, I know that various MPs have, have had a terrible time yeah. from Twitter and, and social media. And I've wanted. I think. I think they even have uh, given up. Um, but I don't. I don't see that Harry and Meghan 
are, are any worse off than anyone else in, in a very high-profile position. Yes. And so what happens now? Because as far as we know, Meghan Markle went back to Canada uh, to be with her son, Archie. Uh, presumably Harry is still here. Um, but if he flies back to Canada, I mean, it, there's, a, there's a possibility, I'm assuming, that we don't really see them very much anymore. Well, I think uh, the first thing that happens, and presumably this was going on yesterday, is that uh, all the royal uh, houses, if you like, I mean, that sounds a bit dramatic and, and sort of Tudor, but, the, you know, the, the, the Cambridges and, and, you know, the Wessexes and the people that are around and supporting the Queen, they'll come in and, and they will sort of say, well, let's try and work this out. And the yeah. Queen's senior courtiers have to find a solution. That is what they're there for. Well, yeah, but, I mean, you know, where does it go from here? Because there's, there's clearly a, a massive rift between both Harry and Meghan and everybody else. And so I'm not even yes, sure who's even yes. talking to them at this point. I think, I think that, the, you know, the Queen uh, did say, I think, or, I mean, not publicly, obviously, but she said, you know, a solution has to be found. We cannot have a repeat of what happened to Diana. You know, we have to find a solution. We can't have Meghan and Harry rattling around the world you know, selling off royal secrets. No, quite. And doing books and doing television shows. I mean, she's already been offered um, a part in um, uh, Housewives of, uh, of Beverly Hills, which I presume <laughs> she will she? not... I yes, that. no, she has. Apparently the director's already given an interview to People magazine where he said, you know, if Megan wants to be part of our fantastic franchise, Housewives of Beverly Hills, she'd be more than welcome. I mean, you know, there's talk of them being like... Well, I know the, uh, Diana, was, Diana was offered a film part. She was offered a part in The Bodyguard, I think. Was she? <laughs> I know, I know she was me. offered a huge film part right. obviously i mean it, you know obviously she she just thought it was a joke right but i mean the, the talk of these uh, this pair becoming like the Bar barack obama and michelle obama who have apparently signed a deal for 65 million pounds uh, for publishing uh, various different books i mean they're not the obamas with the best will in the world you know he is not the brightest tool in the box and i don't think she is either well i, I rather agree i don't think she's as bright as we all thought she was no because i thought she's a very bright lady but i mean the fact that uh, somehow Harry has failed to to enable her to understand how the monarchy works. Mm. I don't know if that's her fault or his fault or just general, but if he could have explained to her the history of the royal family and the constitution and how it works, you know, this, this might not have been, you know, so difficult for her. I think he must bear some of the blame for it, because, you know, it's quite I fashionable. Think he must, yes. I think it's quite fashionable to sort of blame Meghan for somehow, you know, twisting his arm and turning him into this completely different individual. But, I mean, he is a grown man. He has served in the, uh, in the armed forces. He has flown helicopters in Afghanistan in hot zones. I mean, he's not a, a complete kind of ingenue. And so he must have taken this decision with her, um, knowing what it would have done. Well, I mean, the thing is, we, we all loved Harry, and, you know, we all remember how he was, what fun he was, so charming. Well, he still is, I'm sure, but he seems like... He doesn't seem like a happy man at all. He really doesn't. Um, and, and, he and really I mean, doesn't. I mean, you'd have to be... You know, be blind just to imagine that, that he was, and you look at the photographs of him. Well, without wishing to kind of turn it into a, a soap opera, which they've already kind of done anyway, everybody knows that when you have rifts with members of your family, you we all know people that have done it. Some of us have been involved in them as well. You know, it's it's more stressful than not, isn't it? I think it, it's be, it's been very stressful. It's obviously been very stressful for them, but um, you know, the, the thing is, the monarchy isn't something you can walk in and out of. Mm. Um, and, and, and historically, if you think about it, historically, it's always been a bit difficult being a princess. There's, there was never any sort of training school for princesses. Diana had a very hard time when she first joined the royal family. Yeah. Nobody told her what to Well, she really either. struggled to adapt to it, and she found it really quite debilitating, didn't she? She became a bulimic. She became somebody who had real mental health problems herself for a period of time until she kind of blossomed after the divorce and realised what she was missing. Absolutely. But I mean, I think that, you know, Diana found it very difficult at the beginning and she couldn't understand why, you know, that her her fiancé was never there. He was always travelling and she was left on her own in Buckingham Palace. And she, you know, she she had no friends. She, ha she had a lot of difficulties, but um, she said there there was... I remember her saying there's no training school for princesses. No, there really isn't. And, I mean, to do it yesterday as well, on, on, on Kate's birthday... I found to be particularly distasteful because whatever, whatever they were planning, um, they must have known it was her birthday that day. Yeah, well, I think there's a, I don't think there's any friendship lost there. But isn't that tragic, though, in a way? 
it's very sad because I think that, you know, Kate could have really, really helped Megan. I think I think the person that has helped Megan has been Sophie Wessex. Mm. But whether that's Sophie doing it on her own bat or, or at the Queen's request, I don't know. Yeah. I imagine the Queen's probably said to Sophie, look, you're a sensible girl, you're a bit older, you've been through it, you know, try and help her. Yeah. So, finally, Ingrid, what is it that the Queen can sort of eke out of Charles, that they can somehow come to an arrangement? You know, from reading some of the stories this morning, it appears as though they're trying to find some kind of accommodation which works for everybody. But, I mean, I, I for the life of me, can't work out what that would be. I don't think they can either. Hmm. I think they, you know, I think that they've got to go through this. I mean, Charles is up in Scotland. I don't know if he's still up to the Emirs. The, the, the Queen is at Sandringham. You know, she stays there t till after the anniversary of her late father's death, which is the 6th of February. I mean, they're all over the place. They're not exactly sitting in Buckingham Palace. But it really is for their senior advisers to, to try and work something out and come up with, with some some ideas. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really awful situation. And they've created it. You know, it hasn't been created by anybody else but them. No, I mean, and I think, you know, that... You know, they're the ones that are going to sort of pay for it, if you like, in the end. I don't mean physically pay for it, but sort of emotionally pay for it yeah. in the end. No, absolutely. Well, I dare say you and I will be speaking about it for quite some time to come, Ingrid. Thank you very much indeed. Ingrid Seward, Editor-in-Chief of Majesty Magazine, biographer of William and Harry as well. How about this, right, for some interesting information? All overseas visits, uh, officially, are paid for by the Sovereign Grant. That means you and I. Contributions from the host country will also come into effect sometimes, but only the cost of journeys costing more than £15,000 are detailed in the royal accounts. In October 2018, Harry and Meghan completed a tour of Australia, New Zealand, Tonga and Fiji. Travel costs, including a planning trip by staff, came to £81,000. That's just one trip, OK? The numbers uh, have doubled in terms of the amount of money spent since Harry and Meghan joined the royal family. There's a surprise. State visits, however, have remained the same, which tells you that all of their holidays are being paid for by you, OK? You think you don't care about this story? You call me now, 0344 499 1000. We should still be cutting them off. That's what I said yesterday. That's what I'm going to say today. You can listen to us here on Talk Radio, but you can also watch us live on YouTube, on Facebook and on Twitter. This is The Independent Republican, Mike Graham. More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Not just on Talk Radio now, but also live-streamed on YouTube, live-streamed on Facebook and live-streamed as well uh, on Twitter. So you can watch us as well as listening to us, which for some people is an absolute joy and for others uh, is literally a step too far. But uh, you can join in the debate on YouTube because there's an awful lot of people already commenting on the things that we're talking about. Harry and Meghan, of course, is the big story. Uh, right now, though, we're going to talk about the Labour Party because Annalise Dodds has joined us. Uh, she's uh, the Labour MP for Oxford East and she's going to be supporting Keir Starmer for leader. One of the things I suppose we should point out is that every single person who is standing for the Labour Party leadership voted against the Brexit withdrawal bill yesterday as it passed through uh, into the House of Lords. Annalise, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thanks very much, Mike. No, I presume you also voted against the Brexit withdrawal bill yesterday, did you? Well, I certainly did, because actually within that bill, many of the assurances that we'd been given before were completely removed so you know we were told for example that we wouldn't have a rollback on working rights that's been chucked we were told that we wouldn't have any changes to environmental legislation that would keep in step with the rest of the eu again that's been thrown out things like child refugees as well you know when we were told that yeah we won't have any um shift away from the existing position again we've moved away from that with this withdrawal bill so you know i really felt that i didn't have any choice because but we're an actual matching we're, up to on the first two of those things we've got better workers rights in this country than anybody else has in europe and also we've got better environmental um record than any other country in europe as well well w with respect i don't think we would have been taken to court a number of times over our dirty air by the eu if we had better standards than everywhere else and on working rights Sadly, on some issues like agency workers, in fact, it took a very long time for the UK to catch up with what the EU was requiring. Now, I'm not saying that we can't have an independent policy on both of those areas, but what I find um, disappointing is that we were told, as I said before, that there wouldn't be any rollback and that that would actually be written into the bill 
clearly the current Prime Minister isn't willing to do that. But your current leader, Jeremy Corbyn, spent a great deal of time banging on about chlorinated chicken coming here from the United States of America. And the Department for the Environment announced yesterday that actually uh, that wouldn't be the case and that the rules against chlorinated chicken would be maintained after Brexit. Well, I'm not sure exactly how they can promise that when they've also said right across government that they're seeking a trade deal with the United States. And the evidence, unfortunately, about uh, previous negotiations isn't very positive in this regard, because when we were actually a member of the EU and when we're looking at trade deals like TTIP, that big trade deal between the EU and the US, a number of other countries said that they would rule out things like coverage of health services, etc., from the trade deal for them. UK government wasn't willing to do that under Conservative rules, so I'm afraid. You know, I don't just look at. So you, you know, don't what, believe what the Department. Of, so you don't believe the Department of the Environment, in other words. Well, I, I want to see that being written into legislation because otherwise. Well, it's already in legislation, and they're saying that they're not going to take it out. So basically, the rules which currently exist will continue to exist. That's what they said yesterday. Well, I would like to see a proper guarantee of that, and I don't understand why they're not willing to do that. I mean, we well, have just exactly done it. The same as I said. I've just in done relation- it. I'll send you the piece <laughs> from the Guardian, shall I? Uh, I look. I know that they've been saying there's not going to be any change, but what I want to know is if they say there's not going to be any change, why aren't they willing to guarantee it in legislation? Because they didn't do that when it came to other trade deals that were negotiated, in fact, with the EU, where different countries in the EU could have different prescriptions. And as I say, the UK, under Conservative rule, refused to do things that a number of other countries were doing to protect, for example... So are you still of the opinion, as many of your fellow Labour MPs were before the election, um, that catastrophe is about to befall the nation on February the 1st? Well, I don't think there's going to be catastrophe on February the 1st because, of course, we've got a transition period. I am disturbed at the amount of public money that has been spent preparing for the various different eventualities. Um, I think that's been largely um, very unfortunate when we've had lots and lots of other, you know, pretty much extreme requirements for public spending in the UK when we really need that money to be going into our NHS, for example. Now, what I'm concerned about is that... The NHS gets £150 billion a year or something ridiculous, doesn't it? Pardon? Doesn't the NHS get something like £150 billion a year? Well, yeah, it does, but it... Well, you can't tell me that's not enough... You can't tell me that's not enough money, surely? Um, Well, actually, I think a lot of people listening to this will have experienced long waiting times, will have experienced... Yeah, but it's not because of a lack of money, though, Annalise. It's because of a, a lack of efficiency, surely? Um, It is partly, I think, because of a lack of money, because we've had an increase in demand. And if you talk to healthcare professionals, what they're saying is they're having now to ration services. Yeah, but the problem problem for all of this, Annalise, is you're you're making the same arguments that you were all making before the election, right, with the fantasy economics of Jeremy Corbyn and the ludicrous amounts of money that you were going to unleash on the economy. Nobody believed you. Nobody thought you were worth voting for. You had the worst result since 1935 for any uh, Labour Party. You know, it's all gone. You know, you're going to have to do something different. Well, with with respect, if that was the case, then we wouldn't have seen the Conservatives finally catching up and realising that there was a need for additional public spending on things like health, education and policing, which we've been arguing for for a very long time and which we were told by the Tories was not necessary. Finally, they woke up to that. Now, obviously, I'm pleased that they finally caught up with that. But on the issue of waste, what I would like to see them doing as a government is saying that, for example, we won't see large amounts of public money going into the profits of private companies, which we have seen in the National Health Service. I've seen it in my local area where we've seen privatisation pulling money out of services. That's not acceptable and that needs to stop. And we haven't had that recognition yet from the Conservative government. So, you know, you I'm, probably, I'm but you probably problem. won't get it, Annalise, because you have no leverage anymore. You don't have any power in this parliament. You have a Tory government with a majority of 80, right? There's nothing you can do. Well, I don't think that is a recipe for just saying, right, let's just throw in the towel and not keep trying to represent our communities. Actually, it means that we've got to um, be even harder working, that we've got to organise more, that we've got to make sure that communities that have been forgotten are actually getting their voice heard in Parliament. Communities that have been forgotten did have their voices heard. They voted for other parties. So surely what you need to do is find better policies that they will vote for. Well, I, I, I was just saying before before you um before you started to speak again that actually i think we we have got to listen 
to those people. I mean, I'm out every Sunday morning in my constituency or in other parts of the country on the doorstep listening to what people have got to say. Now, I'm certainly trying to learn from that and use that to shape the future of the Labour Party. And I think every other person putting themselves forward to be the leader for the party should be doing that. And I think when people do that, we can learn what the problems were and how we need to change. So, yes, of course, we've got to listen to people. But I think, you know, there are really, really significant issues as well facing our country that we need to be advocating for in Parliament, because otherwise we'll just see this current government have a free run. I think on a number of issues that would be pretty catastrophic. Well, a lot of people think that they're the right people to be in charge, and that's why they got voted in in such big numbers. But why do you think Keir Starmer is the answer rather than any of the other candidates? Well, I think all the candidates have got a lot to offer, actually. We've been having, I think, very good meetings and hustings currently between all the different candidates. It's been done in a very good atmosphere, positive atmosphere. Again, trying to learn from what went wrong at the last general election, how we can change as a result of that. I think that Keir is somebody who, wherever you're talking to people in the whole country, somebody who people know and who many, many people respect, even if they haven't agreed with every single position that he's taken, they do respect him. And, you know, I, I campaigned right across the country at the last general election, you know, from the Midlands, uh, spoke to people in Scotland, was in Yorkshire, was in London, obviously in the southeast as well, where I'm based. He was the person who people mentioned over and over again. You know, if they didn't like our, our current leader, Jeremy, I'd say, well, who do you think would be a better leader? And very, very often people would come back and say, oh, yeah, that chap, what's his name? Yeah, Keir Starmer. Yeah, I think he's good. That was the message that I was getting back right across the country. But so he was, he was also, that. was he not also the man who constructed the Brexit policy, which was the sort of city on the fence policy, which was so catastrophic for you as a party in the north of England? I don't think we should tie what happened in the north of England just down to Brexit. Look, that issue is very polarising. Whatever attitude Labour had taken on that topic, we would have lost some people's support if they were voting purely on the basis of Brexit. If we'd had a more pro-Brexit position, we would have potentially lost people who voted to remain. Um, and obviously, the Conservative Party had tried to position itself as not just pro-Brexit, but in fact potentially willing to countenance a no-deal Brexit. Well, that's something that the Labour Party hopefully would never, ever be in a position to do because we know the impact it could have on our communities and particularly on manufacturing. So it was going to be a difficult issue for us, whichever way we turned. You know, we ended up with a compromised position, which I still still think actually was the right way forward. We've got to set the new reality clearly that you know we're not going to be able to put that forward anymore. You know, we are leaving the EU. That's very very clear now, given the election result. Um, so you know, I, I certainly don't think that that is going to be um, a major issue for Keir. I think he's somebody who has got message. Uh, a message that can resonate right across the country and not just on Brexit, on a whole bunch of other issues as well. And what will his policy be on the European Union then? Well, as I say, we've got a new reality now. I mean, I'm, I'm not his spokesperson on, on Brexit issues, but I think he's, um, uh, you know, recognising as well that we're, we're in a new situation now. Obviously, we are leaving the EU. It's very, very important that as we do so, we don't see those commitments made by the Conservatives junked. You know, they said that we could have a form of Brexit where we won't be losing jobs, where we won't have a reduction in working rights and living standards. So we need to make sure that they're held to account on that. And I think, you know, that's particularly critical, actually, for many people living in the north of England, those areas that have already experienced a wave of deindustrialisation. If we see more jobs going in those communities, then that would be really appalling. OK, and one final question for you, Annalise. Uh, what do you think we should do with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry? Well, that's a good question. I think it's very interesting what they're trying to do, actually. I've been interested and you know, quite inspired by some of their activism around environmental issues and protecting wildlife, etc. Um, I mean, I suppose it's very difficult. It's a difficult thing for the royal family itself to come to terms with. But, you know, all I would say is I just hope, you know, I'd want to wish them all the best for the future as well as everybody else. Do in, you want to keep paying family. them if they leave the country? Uh, well, I think they've said, they've said, haven't they, that they want to eventually uh, move towards self-sufficiency <laughs> or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they say I, that, I, yeah. They'd like to be uh, financially am... independent. Wouldn't that be marvellous, hey? Yeah, I mean, I, I, if I'm totally honest with you, it's not something that I've followed every single in and out of, you know, around. My mum certainly would have done. She was a big, big kind of monarchist. But uh, I, I guess for me, I just hope that... Um, 
that, that they get to a better place from their point of view um, and that it's something that's acceptable to, to the rest of our family as well. Um, and, you know, the, the, the kind of positive charity work is, is continued. I think that's, that's really critical, whatever happens. OK. Annalise Dodds, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Labour and Cooperative MP for Oxford East, backing Keir Starmer uh, over the uh, leadership battle for the Labour Party. But let's face it, the Labour Party really haven't got anywhere to go, have they? The Labour Party were voted down and out in most places where they used to hold very, very large amounts of support. Now they don't have any support apart from in places like Putney, Millionaire's Row, uh, where the Champagne Socialists all hang out. So cheerio, I don't think they're going to be very relevant for five years, minimum. This is Talk Radio. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favourite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week, you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies... I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show yeah. is absolutely yeah. incredible. Or anime. Yeah, and under this sure. mask is another mask. <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, we were talking just before the break to Lisa Francesca Nand about taking kids on holidays, grown-up kids indeed, and Johnny has tweeted us. He says, My dad took me and my brother to Disneyland when we were 14 and 15, and he spent the whole time bellowing at us that we should be enjoying ourselves. Mickey Mouse at 15. Get real, Dad. Well, I suppose I can see your point. Let's talk to Mike Rutherford and find out what is happening in this country and why it's becoming sort of so difficult now to go anywhere in a car without having to pay... Some kind of fine. Mike, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Hello, Michael. Happy New Year and all that. Yes, absolutely right. Now, I mean, we, we've talked about this before. We talked about Bristol going diesel-free. We've talked about York apparently wanting to an entirely pedestrianised city centre. Now Oxford seems to be the latest one to jump on the bandwagon. Yep. Uh, they're going to introduce this charge of £10 for the cars that uh, are in their eyes not right, and vans, of course, and trucks. And although, you know... We may not be uh, friends of trucking companies particularly. They can be a pain sometimes, can't they, for car drivers, trucks. But, you know, we've got to understand, especially after the, after the period we've just been through with all the deliveries, etc., uh, all the food and prints and everything else that's delivered, everything that we, everything that we own is, is delivered by truck. And yet um, Oxford Council seem to be declaring war on trucks and saying they've got to be zero emission, and there are none on the market. I mean, there, you know, there is nothing commercially available with cars because they're built in such higher volumes of course for individuals um there are zero emission at source at least cars uh, there are no zero emission trucks available um hgvs for example no. and yet uh, and yet uh, and so the trucking industry is saying well you're, you're telling us to drive in in vehicles that the, the the vehicle manufacturing the global vehicle manufacturing industry doesn't produce. Well, exactly right. And I've spoken to some um, couriers and people who are worried about what's going to happen in Bristol because, of course, diesel vehicles are all going to be banned from there and a lot of people drive a diesel van. There is apparently an electric van or a, a hybrid van, but it's really expensive. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the point. With whether it, uh, Same goes for cars, you know. Uh, you, you, you're talking about at least, for an equivalent car, at least a 50% price increase yeah. if not if not more for the same car right i mean um so you've got to pay through the nose for these things um uh, vans yeah there are there are so-called zero emission we've got to use this term uh, briefly explain what we mean by zero emission that means there's nothing there's no emission there's no pollution coming from the vehicle 
being used on the road in the city centre, but go down the road a bit to the local power station. Of course, you're creating more power at yeah. the power station to, to create the electricity to charge the car. So it's not true to say there's zero emission. You're just transferring the emissions or the pollutants from the centre of town to the outskirts yeah. of town. And also, um, they, 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 they keep repeating this mantra, and I've got a quote here from Tom Hayes, who rather pompously calls himself Cabinet Member for the Environment at Oxford City Council, right? He says, we must clean up the lethal air we're all breathing. Oxford's zero emission zone will help make 2020 the year we make a game-changing difference. Well, I had this conversation with a, an official from York City Council, right? And I was able to get my hands on an actual um, qual air quality reports in which it was revealed that the nitrous oxide, uh, which they all complain about, which is killing us all, in the streets of York is actually lower than the recommended um, uh, sort of high level that you should worry about by the United Nations. And it was lower by about 50%. I said, actually, you've got some of the cleanest air in York in the entire country, so you don't even need to do it. Right. I mean, and, and you know, there is so much hypocrisy around this issue. I mean, ha has Oxford Council declared that none of their council vehicles will be uh, diesel vehicles, that they'll all be emission free? Yeah, and where are you going to find that? And where are you going to find that money? Because funnily enough, the day after Bristol uh, Council said that they were going to go diesel free, it turned out that they had a load of diesel vans in their in their council car park. And probably cars as well. And yeah. I think that the number I wrote about it, the number was staggeringly high. I mean, what are they going to do about their diesel-powered refuse trucks that, that go around at least once a week, right. um, uh, clogging up the streets, picking up people's bin bags? Are they, are, they, are they going to be banned? Are they going to be fined? I mean, the other thing, Mike, we've got to ask is this, or, or we've got to challenge them. Let's, let's lay down the challenge. Mm. Let's to Oxford. That's fine. Uh, if you honestly believe... Uh, as you say, that uh, whether they're cars, vans or trucks are polluting the air to such a lethal extent, that's the word they use, This is we're causing lethal yep. damage to the residents of Oxford. If you really believe that, then why the hell are you allowing people to pay a tenner to come in and create that lethal air? If you really believed it, you would say, we don't care if you pay £10 to come in, we don't care if you pay fines, we don't care if you offer us big, big money. You're not coming in because we believe yes. you, you're polluting the air. The reason they don't do that is because they want the £10 uh, from the car driver. They want the fines from, the, um, from those people who don't pay. So what they're really saying is, if you can afford to, you're welcome to come in and pollute the air. If you can't afford it, too bad. Yes. I mean, they need to have the courage of their convictions. They need to stick to their principles, and they need to also practice what they preach by saying there will no longer be an Oxford Council, City Council vehicle um, that runs on, on what we consider to be pollutant, uh, you know, the old-fashioned, old-school technology, right. diesel, for example. Let them set a fine example by converting their entire fleet... Yeah, but hang on. ...hundreds of vehicles... Well, that's all very well, Mike, but, but if they do that, then they're probably going to charge us more money for the council tax on the grounds that they have to completely replenish their fleet of, of vehicles because they haven't got any money. Don't forget, the problem with all these do-gooders and these eco-planks is that they have to take the money from us in order to do all this stuff. Well, I'm throwing down these challenges, Mike, in a, as you can tell, in a slightly mischievous way, because they won't, they won't rise to the bait. They will not be doing these things. They will continue to, to contradict themselves. They will continue to commit the act of gross hypocrisy. They will continue to grab the money from people. On the one hand, you know, oh, your air is killing our children. But yeah. on the other hand, if you pay us a tenner, we'll allow you to pollute the air. I mean, it is unbelievable. Mm. And I think, and I think uh, you know, we are reaching the stage, sadly. I'd, I'd like to cheer you up and, and tell you that this is not going <laughs> to catch on across Britain. But the money, the income, the revenue is just too much for them to resist. Mm. And I can see other... Other councils doing it as well. Oh, I can I mean, see. Well, no, I can see them all doing it, Mike. But here's the other one, right? What about the uh, the the other facts that we know? And this was definitely said to me at the time when I was interviewing the York guy. Um, everybody knows that when you pedestrianise the centre of a city, a shopping centre in particular, it basically doesn't boost the shopping footfall. It actually reduces it. Therefore, more shops will go out of business. They won't be able to get their stuff delivered properly anyway, um, and the place becomes a ghost town. Well, quite. I mean, you know, the, these trucks that the, the, the city councils are objecting to are trucks that have the temerity 
HGV trucks that have the temerity to go to supermarkets so that people can get their fresh groceries yeah. and their turkeys at Christmas and, and their presents in the stores, etc. I mean, that's what the trucks are for. Uh, you know, people are not truck drivers are not running around in circles for the for the for the for the fun of it. No. And and of course we, we you know if there is one of tragedies of our um, of our current times is the death of the high street and what this will do inevitably it will it will it will have people saying to themselves well i'm just not going to drive into oxford anymore and whereas i used to go and do my christmas shopping or go out for dinner or whatever or go to the cinema in oxford we're going to go to the outer town locations instead or we're going to use that um, famous online service to buy products instead of buying them from the high street. So I think the retailers of Oxford should be, uh, and London come to that, yeah. uh, and, and, and some of these other cities we talked about, Bristol, etc. I think the retailers, the big retailers should be saying to the council, look, enough is enough. Stop pushing people away from our, sh- our shopping centres, our retail areas. We want them coming in. We yeah. don't want to deter them. Also, Also, by doing this, right, they will make, if you say, and what I think you, you did say, and I think you're right, that more people will, will buy stuff online. How do you think that gets to your house? Somebody brings it in a truck. So it's not as if you're actually reducing the emissions at all. You're probably increasing them. Quite. And, and, uh, and I think that is it. If, you know, if, if Oxford and other councils really want to look at uh, uh, an issue that uh, is increasingly worrying, it's the number of, not I've got anything against white van men, uh, you know, if they can earn a living out of it, uh, great for them. And all, uh, So this is not anti-white van man, but it is kind of crazy mm. that we're out and about um, doing our stuff, and yet we insist on having a van come to our door when perhaps we've driven past a shop that day where we've um, where we could have popped in and bought something. Yeah. Instead of that, the new way of doing things is, is to have an extra vehicle on the road, uh, usually a, a white van, to deliver a little box. Yeah. I mean, that's nuts. Well, it so is. And no also, way... you know people as well as I do, I'm sure, who are getting maybe three or four different deliveries in, in, in any given day. So it's not just one van that's for delivery stuff. It's, there's thousands of them. I actually saw a lady recently, Mike. I won't name the store, but it was one of those uh, frozen food stores oh, yeah. where she went in bought, I think, the required amount, I think it was 30 quid's worth of stuff, and as she walked out, all I was in there for was to buy a, a, a carton of milk, but yeah. as she walked out, she left everything behind, and I thought, this is what, what's going on? So I paid for my bottle of milk, and I saw her leave all this stuff behind, and she went outside, and she climbed into her estate car, and I, and I actually said to her, do you, I know this is odd, but do you realise you paid for your shopping and left it there in the bags? <laughs> and she said, no, I'll have a man deliver that to me later today. Nice. And she drove off in her estate car. Uh, so that is nuts. That's bonkers, isn't it? We all agree it? with that. That is absolutely bonkers. But yeah, but the whole idea of free delivery and this whole thing, this concept that we now have that if you're an Amazon Prime member, you can actually order something at 10 o'clock in the morning and it can be delivered to you by one... You know, well, yeah, you could have gone out and bought it as well, and you could have had it had it home by eleven. You know what I mean? It's just crazy to me. Yeah, and uh, and uh, and in fairness to the politicians and the cities like Oxford and and, and other residential areas and business, yeah, uh, let, let's let's have a let's let's look at what how many extra vans are on the road and why they're on the yeah. road and how many dead miles they do and let's let's do something about that. In fact, let's go further still. And let's have a proper study. When was the last time there was a proper study into transport and the movement of people and why people are on the road? When was the last time there was an incentive uh, from employers to say, uh, come to us as an employee, present your case to us, and if you can convince us, we'll let you work from home one or two days a week. Uh, So you come in, uh, you know, you come in three days a week, not five. We reduce reduce the, the traffic on the roads immediately, but 40% if you're taking people off the roads for a couple of days. But it's as you say, it's not about taking cars off the road, it's about collecting money. If I, and I have had to do this on occasion because for some reason or other, um, you know, London's underground system has collapsed or the Jubilee line isn't working or something. I don't live very far from the office here, but there's no car parking anywhere near here at all. There's an NCP car park. If I have to come in in my car from literally about two miles away, 
I have to pay a congestion charge and I have to pay about 35 to 40 quid to park the car for about four or five yeah. hours, right? So it's basically 50 pounds a day for me to drive in and out of, of the city. Now, I don't particularly want to drive in and out of the city and I certainly don't want to spend, you know, upwards of 250 pounds a week doing so. Um, but some people do. And if they do, the, uh, the, the powers that be make all the money. Well, and, and also, it's, it's, you know, the counter-argument to play devil's advocate might be, well, you know, on a big fat salary like yours, uh, you can afford it. Um, now, I don't, I don't, it's not my argument, that's what they would yeah. say. But, but, that doesn't make the, but that doesn't make the air better, does it? Well, quite, but even if you gave them the benefit of the doubt and said, all right, yeah, there are some people who can actually afford 50 quid a day. Yeah. What about the people, I mean, I know from my own experience, Mike, when my son was a long-term resident at University College London Hospital. Yeah. What about people who have to be with their children in hospital? I mean, I'm not talking about for a few days. I'm talking about weeks Long and months term, and yeah. years. I mean, you know, you've got to pay £50 to park that car. What, you know, why, why, why are you not uh, taking public transport uh, into London? Well, because we're going to a hospital and very often we have a, an extremely uh, ill child with mm. us and so we happen to be in a car. There are people who go into, into London for all sorts of reasons. What we shouldn't do is look at somebody who's driving a car and say, well, there's somebody who's got nothing better to do than to drive around in circles or car, or there's a fat cat going to work in his, in, in his, uh, in his, in his flash car. There are all kinds of reasons. Mm. You know, I, I, I went to a family funeral recently and people were coming through London, out the other side of London, or from all, all parts of the country, in cars to attend a much-loved elderly relative who passed away. I mean, people are in cars for all kinds of, of reasons. Charity workers use cars. Um, and you know what? There, aren't, there often aren't exemptions for charity vehicles trying to get into these city centres with these uh, punitive schemes. Um, that, that, you, you know, the, the charity vehicles are required to pay the same sort of financial penalties uh, that Joe so. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a brutal uh, money raising exercise and we'd be daft if we didn't just recognize it as as such and deal with it as such and call them out let's 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 make a beeline for the oxfords and the bristols and the and the and london let's yeah. not get london here they're, they're in this uh, obviously in london we're talking about sadiq khan they're in this to raise revenue, because if they really wanted to do something about air quality in London and York and, and uh, Bristol and Oxford, they tackle all the air pollutant problems, not just the ones re re relating to the vehicles on the, on the road. No, you're absolutely right, Mike. Thanks very much indeed. Imagine if you're a, a, a courier driver as well. We spoke to a couple of them down in Bristol who won't be able to deliver anything into the centre of Bristol anymore. Uh, here's uh, Keith on the YouTube feed saying this. Gordon Brown promoted buying diesel cars when Labour was in power about 50 or so years ago. Well, actually, it wasn't that long ago, to be honest, but they did tell us that we should get them. Uh, here's one from Ollie, who says, we had two world wars, 5,000-plus nuclear tests, countless oil fires, volcanoes, and the flora and fauna still thrive. Well, also, this complete and utter nonsense that we're all dying of air pollution problems because the air is so awful and horrible and ghastly. And then they want you to go down into the underground where it's apparently better. Really? 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. This is Talk Radio. More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's Friday, it's 12.34 and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. Now, this is a world first, okay, because not only is this the first Perrier Awards of 2020, because we haven't done one yet, not only is it going to be presented by Marta Maligon, uh, the extremely talented Spanish producer of this show, it is also the first time that it has ever been live-streamed to loads and loads of people on YouTube, on Facebook and on Twitter. So if you're not watching that, you need to be watching it now because you'll be able to see the Perriers in action uh, as well as hearing them. So it's time, of course, now uh, to do what I should have done before this, which is to welcome <laughs> Marta to the studios. Welcome Good afternoon. to the live stream of the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Thank you very much. Um, did you notice that I've got new music for the Perriers just to commemorate this occasion? I did. I'm very pleased about that because it's a new year and yes. we might as well start as we mean to go on. 
Yes. So, yeah. like uh, new music. Over to you. So, over to me, and I'm going to read my script. Good afternoon and welcome to the Perry Rewards. Uh, this is where we look back over the week of the so-called Independent so Republic of My Graham on Talk Radio and choose our favourite moments. Now, as it's tradition, the first Perry goes to you, Mike, and we start Thank with you. Premonition of the Week. But let's talk now uh, to a man that knows a lot more about it than any of us, Lord Tony Berkeley, uh, former Deputy Chairman of the Independent Ochre View, uh, Ochre View <laughs> v Review, I should say. Sorry, I can't say that. I'll try it again. Oka V Review into HS2, OK? There's the first Perrier of the week, and it's only 12.18 on Monday. <laughs> well, there go. we are. I mean, I was right, I suppose. I finally got something right in that piece of, uh, of, of speech. Oka View. To be fair, I wouldn't have known how to say that. No. I, I don't, I'm pretty sure I got his name wrong as well, because I heard everybody else referring to him as Lord Barclay rather than Berkeley. Well, I did speak to him beforehand, yeah. and he didn't correct me. OK. So, and normally people do. When I say something wrong, which happens quite often... Not that often being Spanish and all that. Yes. But, uh, yeah, he didn't correct me. No, okay. Anyway, he was a uh, very feisty little Berkeley, because, uh, or Barkley. Uh, he came on to talk about uh, HS2, and he wins the perrier for fighting his own corner. Network rail lines into Houston and closing up for a year or two. I mean, yeah. it just doesn't, doesn't bear thinking about it. Oh, I thought, I, wrong, I thought you were supposed to get on, off the let train. Me, let me just finish with Sorry. old Oak Common. I mean... <laughs> See, I quite like it when people do that because what I don't want them to do is think yeah. that I've somehow kept interrupting them. As Annalise Dodds earlier today, yes. when she said, you know, well, I was about to say that until you, and she didn't say interrupted me until you started talking again. <laughs> well, but it's, it's just another way of saying it. Yeah, but it's called a conversation, isn't it? Yeah, but you know, I appreciate that because it also doesn't happen very often and it's a source of amusement it is. behind the glass. Of course. I should say. Yeah. And we go from behind the glass to uh, all the way. I didn't think this through. I'm atlipping. Like, through the radio, on the other side of the radio, okay. our lovely callers, who we love and cherish, uh, we're just going to go through some of them. Geraldine Crew wins a perrier for delivering the insult of the week. Good afternoon, Michael. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, I tried watching you on uh, YouTube yesterday, but I switched it off because you look like a BBC presenter. It was so unnerving. You look, I do not look like a BBC I've never you been so insulted like in my life. How dare you, you say like I look like a BBC presenter? You look like presenter. you're lining up to read the news. Shocking, that, isn't it? To be fair, you do, though. I uh, Do I? Yeah. I've never seen anyone at the BBC looking like this. I wouldn't say, like, a BBC Today. presenter specifically, because, uh -huh. you know, other broadcasting companies are available. There are. But I would say you look like, like a newsreader, like do you're I? ready okay. to. I have read the news once. Uh, I did it once on BBC Scotland, and everybody fell about laughing, because... <laughs> uh, they, so I, had, I was getting messages from people saying, why is Michael Caine reading the news? Oh, <laughs> well, listen, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure you've had worse things have. said to you. Yes, I have. Um, earlier in the week, uh, Peterborough was voted the worst place to live in the UK. Caller Graham lives there and phoned us to tell us what it's like. And he also came up with the idea of the week. Maybe we could twin with the moon. There's no atmosphere uh. there either. <laughs> Very good. There you go. That is quite a good idea. There you go. It no is quite a good there. idea. Yeah. I mean, he, I couldn't work out whether he was phoning up to say Peterborough was a horrible place or that actually it was all right. Well, that was a conversation we had behind the glass, actually. Yeah. Because uh, she said something to our lovely assistant producer this week, Holly, and then she said uh, he said something different to me. Yeah. So we uh, we just thought he changed his mind. He was kind maybe. of all over the place, really. Yeah. But very very good call, nonetheless. Oh yeah, very good call. Mm. And another one that was uh, very good as oh, well. I'm just was... watching you on the live stream. It seems to be slightly delayed for some reason. So Is we've there? just started doing it on the live stream. Oh gosh. Even though we've been actually doing it for a little while. Oh gosh. But never mind. So that means if you're watching the live stream, you're slightly behind. <laughs> But uh, don't worry about it. But that. it's fine. <laughs> You'll get there in the end. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you I've already won the first one. Oh, well, <laughs> who would have thought? Uh, Ross in Sussex uh, called us to make the case that he deserves to work with Dominic Cummings in Downing Street. However, they called it not start in the best possible way. It's a classic. It's the wrong namer of the week. Let's go to the phone zone. Talk to Russ, who's in Sussex. Hello, Russ. Hello, Graham. <laughs> it's a classic mistake. It happens all the time. It's happened before. Yeah. And this is not the only award for uh, Russ. He also wins Funny Noise of the Week. Well, my head is going so fast because I've been active and everything is done. What can I do next? Right. So, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> that was a good noise. Whatever that was. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I thought it was a bit of a sort of motorcycle crossed with a, I don't know, a wind tunnel mm -hmm. effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe we should ask him permission to, to clip that and use that for our bank of sound effects. We could do that. That would be good, yeah. Play it at the end of every call we don't like. <laughs> for example. Ooh, I can't do it, actually. <laughs> I can't do that either. You have I'm to not have even quite going to moist, try. moistened lips to do that, which mine are not at the moment. 
Well, if you need some lip gloss, just let I'll, me know. I'll go and get I've some. I've got some in, right. the, in the control room. Um, anyway, it's quite another... unnerving watching you doing this on the screen while you're sitting opposite me. Well, maybe don't stop watching it then. No, I have to watch it because that's where the feed okay. and the people, the comments are. Okay. Well, you'll get used to it. I'm there sure. are some nice comments. There are some quite rude ones as well. So um, I'm not going to read any of those out. Well, I mean, I mean, not rude, horrible rude. Hey, but just you know. What can I say? I know. Um, another pair for you, Mike. Thank you. Uh, on Wednesday, you spoke to James Chavarini from Il Portico Restaurant about food trends for 2020. Yeah. And you told us how you get a little bit annoyed at the amount of food uh, displayed in shops. Congratulations, you win the Perry Award for Exaggeration of the Week. And people were yeah. talking about there being less food in the shops, and I actually said, well, that's probably a good thing. We don't need as much food as we okay. see every <laughs> single day. You know, I don't need to see, you know, acres and acres and acres of potatoes and carrots in front of me in a supermarket. You, you see what's happening. You see, I slightly over-egged that one. Well, I don't know. I live to a very, next to a very big supermarket. Yes. And I don't think it's acres and acres and acres. It's not acres, acres. no, it's not. No. But sometimes you use speech in a way to make a point. Here's one from Lone Ranger who says she has a sense of humour uh, um, uh, who can also smile. She can't be a liberal. Okay. That's about you. And Keith says, I like this bubbly young lady. Oh, thank you very much. There you go. Appreciate the compliment. Very popular. Very popular. Thank you very much. Appreciate mm. that. Um, next, uh, newsreader Rachel Jewell wins the Perry for her diplomatic skills. Let's get some news headlines with Rachel Jewell. Good afternoon. It's three minutes past midday. Coming up, <laughs> UK looking to de-escalate... Yeah, let we were me, a bit late to the let news Let me there. explain what happened yeah. here. Rachel basically just told you off yes. on national radio mm. for going to the break Again, three minutes three late. Three minutes late. Well, you know, I wasn't but, really you know, uh, aware of the time, I'm afraid. I think we had a very important guest at the time that uh, had run a little bit late. I think it was a studio guest as well, which I think is a special occasion. But, but you know, she, she did it in a, in a very classy mm. way and I admired her and I'm going to start using yes. her. A technique. Good for you. Now, I can tell you that you've massively boosted the numbers of people watching the live feed already. There you so, go. you know, maybe you should do more. Well, maybe, maybe. We uh, should do the whole show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Talk to the boss, put in a good word. Yes. Brexit party MEP, uh, and Widdicom join us to talk about Brexit and the fact that she will soon be unemployed. And for that, she wins the Perry for Job Seeker of the Week. Well, I wish you would come back and, and form some kind of party here, Anne, you know, because I think your voice is very much needed still in the political landscape. So, so at least if you do give it all up in Brussels, will you come back and do something here? Well, I'm looking at, do you mean on talk radio? Well, well on talk radio if you must, uh, or indeed and out there for the greater good. I mean, we just talk here, you know, we don't actually do anything. Yeah. <laughs> I left that bit in as well. Yeah, thank thought... you, because, you know, it's good to be self-deprecating. <laughs> yeah. Of course, we do a great deal here, which is oh, not yeah. just about talking. But the thing yeah. about um, uh, I found interesting about Anne Whittacombe there was that she clearly thinks I run talk radio. Yes. Which, of course, I don't. No. Well, at least not yet. No, exactly. Maybe one day. Maybe. But, you know, um, if Anne, if you're listening, I always need people on the phones yes. or, or, you know, printing scripts and Bit stuff. Bit of research, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's so always I things can, to do. I can always do with a little bit of that. A and runner, I'm sure... maybe. You know, get the guests from downstairs. Yeah, yeah, that's always helpful. <laughs> and she's got a great contacts book that, you know, that ah, she wants absolutely. to bring onto the table. Well, she has done this show, hasn't she? She, did she a, has, She yeah. did this show for a week. Was it last year? I think, I think it was, it was last maybe summer. the year before, yeah. Well, the year before, that's right, yeah, when yeah. I went to Devon. I yes. seem to remember, yeah. You've been to Devon? I went to Devon, I think you've yeah. just been to Scotland. I have just been to Scotland, ah. yeah. I don't talk about it much. I was no. in California last year. Have I talk you? about that quite a lot. Oh, good. Mm. And see, I, I, sometimes I just don't pay attention. I know. Anyway, um, another one for you, Mike. Yes. You've been doing this job for a very long time. Some would argue that you're very good at it. And yeah, for, I'm glad you balance. went that way with it. I thought you were going to say you totally stopped. <laughs> no, 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 I would never. Uh, but for balance, some yes. would argue that you're not very good at it, but that's them told. Yes. Because this next clip is going to show you your best presenter skills. Notwithstanding the fact that we leave the European Union at the end of January and we were told it was all going to go horribly wrong, we wouldn't be able to ever go anywhere ever again, apparently we'll be able to go to Ireland now. Well, first of all, good morning and thank you for having me on the show. Sorry, I should have introduced you. <laughs> I, I was going to say, my apologies. <laughs> I mean, who hasn't forgotten to introduce the that, studio guest well, before? It happened just now. It did. But um, you acknowledge your teeny tiny mistake. I do. And you gave us the worst excuse of the week. Well, you know what the problem is, is you came in too early and we've already had a very nice chat before we started chatting. And that's so I'd forgotten and that nobody else was part of that. So you've basically blamed it on the guests, but <laughs> you forgot to introduce them. Well, because we had already been having a conversation, you see, so that yes. sometimes leads you into a bad place. Now, look, there's one here, right, that says, mm. uh, from Neil, Graham, I didn't realise you were so old. Now, listen, 
I've been called a second-hand Clark Graham. I presume he's talking to me by using yeah. my last name. Yeah. It's a thing they used to do at school, mm. you know. They would call you by your last name. Okay. Um, but then here's one from Browsing. He says, Graham isn't old, he's matured to perfection. Oh, that's nice. I'll take that. That's one for your Twitter bio. Matured to perfection. Yeah. Like a fine wine. Like a cheese. Cheese? <laughs> I'm not going into cheese again. No. That was that conversation with Johnny Seifert that was going absolutely nowhere. Well, wait for it. Uh, right. We'll be hearing from that. But before that, uh, travel gurus haven't called their Windsor Perry for the reaction of the week. And if you think that in your or my lifetime this uh, HS2 thing is going to be up and running, I think I'm afraid that we are going to be sorely disappointed. And, and... Oh. Bless him. <laughs> that didn't sound good. I mean, I, I feel that. I feel yeah, his pain. I do. But, you know, it's hard. Mm. And um, I hope you enjoy the following clip as much as I've enjoyed putting it together. Congratulations. You win a Perry Award for your impression of Meghan Markle. Oh, thank you. There's some House of Windsor sheets that you could buy. The love story of all time. We're going to Canada. It's beautiful because they've been working so hard. Nobody's helped us. We're all alone. Yes, I can't believe it. Oh my god. So sad. Isn't it sad? We're leaving. We're going to Canada. It's going to hit the icebergs of the way over. <laughs> so it's so I mean. good she's already gone. I know. You know, I, I got know. rid of her. I claim that as a victory for I the I claim that another Republic. victory for the independent republic, yes. As we do. Mm. Anyway, I'm going to race through this because we're running out of time. Yeah, we're running a bit I'm talking late, too yeah. much. You are. I'm talking too much. Get on with it. Uh, earlier in the week, Johnny Seifer, showbiz editor, yes. popped in to talk about Love Island because uh -huh. obviously no one else was available. And you <laughs> worth uh, share a perrier for the most ridiculous discussion of the week. They're very vacuous as well, aren't they? I mean, that's the problem. And they've also, also, I mean, last year, got... was it not last year where they had the conversation about um, cheese? And, <laughs> trees. Uh, no, cheese. Oh, cheese. And Brexit. Trees. And, Brexit. Brexit. <laughs> well, didn't they talk about... Well, you're supposed to know all this stuff. Yeah, trees and Brexit, two years ago. Cheese. Trees. Not trees, no, no cheese. No, it was trees. No, it was cheese. The woman didn't know whether there was going to be any more cheese coming into the country because of Brexit. Oh, cheese. Cheese, yeah. Oh, yeah. Trees. Anyway, um, yeah. Let's find out which one of you was right. Okay. It was to leave the EU, so we wouldn't well, be part of Europe. EU, which yeah, would yeah, mean, like, definitely. welfare. And this is great, by like the way. things we trade with would be cut down. So does that mean we won't have any trees? Trees? No. Trees? Oh. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's got nothing to do with it, babe. <laughs> Why wouldn't we have trees? Uh, cheese. I, I, can't, I can't work it out. Yeah, so one of them says cheese and one of them says trees. So it's both and so neither it must be at the both. same time. Yeah, so we. Uh, the good news is, actually, we will both have trees and cheese after Brexit. I think we can be pretty sure about that. Can we have cheese grown on trees? Cheese trees? Yes. Well, you get oh, cheese plants. Great. You can get cheese plants, but funnily enough, they don't actually produce any cheese. I don't even know why they call them cheese plants. Well, that's fake news then. It is. Anyway. That's enough about cheese. Finally, the yes. last terrier also goes to you, Mike, and this is for Joke of the Week. They're famous because they know Tiger. You know the famous rapper Tiger who used to go hey. out with one of the Jenners? What? <laughs> who? Tiger. Tiger. You no. know, T-Y-G-A? No. Oh. T-I-G-A? That's not how you spell Tiger. Well, it is when you're down with the kids. Okay. Um, it's an interesting lineup this year because it's a brand new year. Is he striped? Brand new decade. <laughs> hey? What are you laughing for? He never answered the he question. He didn't. I presume he's not. I, I presume so. Right. I can, I can only tell you that. Uh, anyway, that's it for the Perry well, Awards. That was an absolute triumph. Thank you. Thank you very much. There'll be more next week. The Perry Awards on Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.